all things Montessori community. Happy Tuesday. I'm so excited about this week's episode. So I first want to chat about what this week's episode is about, but also talk about a brand new section or series of all things Montessori that I'm going to be introducing. So I had this idea a few months ago and it just came to me from thinking of Montessori, thinking about everything that's going on right now and thinking about who we could really hear from. And so what I decided and what kind of came to me was we should go right to the source, teachers, guides in the classroom right now. And so I thought about it and asked a few of my good teacher friends if they'd be willing to come on the podcast. And of course they agreed. And so today I'm launching something called the teacher series. This is going to be a series of interviews of teachers all over the country and hopefully the world. And they're talking about their experience through training, their experience in Montessori and their experience in this time right now of COVID. So I'm delighted and I'm so excited. Today, we have on the podcast Sarah McCabe. Sarah is an upper elementary teacher. We trained together at WMI and became great friends. And Sarah is pure sunshine. She is so fantastic and has so much wise and helpful advice. And I really hope you guys enjoy this interview just as much as we enjoy talking and catching up with each other. This episode is brought to you by Patreon. Thank you to all of our existing patrons. We could not do this without you. If you are already a patron member, you know how fun it is to be a patron of all things Montessori. If you'd like to become a patron of all things Montessori and help us run this show, you can head on over to Patreon, find us under all things Montessori, and of course it is linked below. And finally, this episode is brought to you by Sapling Supply. Sapling Supply is a beautiful, wonderful, family-owned Montessori furniture company. And it's run by two wonderful Montessori dads. This company is honest, authentic, and makes beautiful pieces of furniture. So go ahead and check them out. The website is linked below and you can get 10% off anything in the store site-wide if you use our promo code ATM10. I'm so excited today to talk with my friend, Sarah, who I was fortunate enough to train with at WMI. And, um, you know, I'm doing this teacher series with all things Montessori, because I think hearing from teachers who are in the thick of it right now, especially with COVID is extremely valuable. If not just to have somebody say something and then you're like, oh, okay, I'm not the only one. <laughs> so welcome, Sarah. I'm so happy to talk with you today. Thank you. Happy to be here. Happy to share my experience as a Montessori teacher, because each one is so vastly different. Oh my gosh, isn't it? That's so true. So um, whenever we have guests on the podcast, we always, always ask what their Montessori story is, um, because just as everyone's teaching experience is different, I found that everybody's Montessori experience and how they got there is uniquely different. So what is your Montessori story? All right. Well, so <laughs> my path has changed many times <laughs> since starting uh, college. But so I went to UConn originally for psychology. Um, and, uh, you know, at that age, you think you know what direction you want to go in with it. And you're not like, and then your mind totally changes later on. Um, so after I graduated, uh, I was thinking that I would want to 
continue with psychology. Um, started at Central with my master's and then realized that wasn't the direction I wanted to go in. And I actually really wanted to work with children in a school setting. Mm -hmm. So then I was thinking perhaps that psychology degree would be made of better use as a social worker, which then led me to apply to UConn's Master of Social Work program, which, um, you know, is once a year application. So even after you apply, you have to wait a year before you were to start if you did get accepted. Mm. So in my mind, I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. So for a year, I have to find work (laughs) until I'm ready to start school again. And obviously... You know, at that point in my life, I wanted it to be a job that was related to whichever field I planned on entering after getting my master's degree. So it was difficult. It was difficult to try to find a job that wasn't, you know, the career, because I wasn't planning on making it a career at that point. Right. So just a job I would have for a year, but something still meaningful. And as I was looking at all these jobs related to working with children, I came upon this um, this position. I was doing an online search, and it was for a Montessori school in West Hartford. And I grew up in Newington, the town right next to West Hartford. So, you know, I found it a little strange. I was like, oh, I've never, never heard of this school, mm. even though I live right next to this town. But it sounded like a really interesting position. It was as a teacher, uh, teaching assistant in a lower elementary classroom. Um, with children ages six to nine. So right off the bat, I'm like, well, that's interesting that the class is six to nine-year-olds, right? Because I, in my growing up, I went tr- through the traditional school. Yeah. Um, so that just, you know, that was new to me. So I was intrigued, and I did um, a little more research into the specific school that was hiring for the position. And... And then I just got totally sucked into their website. Um, So I was on the Montessori School of Greater Hartford's website, reading about, you know, the Montessori philosophy and what it meant. And I remember, like, exactly where I was sitting in my home at the time. I was on the floor at the coffee table. And I remember reading the website and being like, this is how every single school Mm. (laughs) should be set up for children. Yeah. And I can't believe I've never heard of this until now. Mm. And it wasn't like it was a new school. It had been around for a long time. And it wasn't a new philosophy. That had clearly been around for a long time. Yeah. It was just something I had never heard about in my studies. Um, and, you know, psychology and education are very much one in the same. You can't really separate them. Right. So I'm surprised it never came up in any courses of mine. But Long story short, um, I ended up applying for the position, um, was super, super, super nervous. I remember the interview was like on the hottest day of the summer, humanly possible, and my <laughs> car had no no air conditioning at the time. And I was like, oh my gosh, these people are going to be so repulsed by me. Um, but <laughs> I came prepared, and I came with what experience I did have with children mm. and showed them everything that I was willing to learn and how excited I was. And um, I ended up getting the job and worked as the lower elementary assistant for three years. Mm. And it, it was after the, the first half of the first year that I went to um, 
the teacher I worked for, my long-term uh, mentor, Liz, I went to her. I was like, having a bit of a, like a dilemma going on inside of me because I'm very much a person who, like, once I make a plan, it's very hard for me to break from it. Yeah. And I made this plan and applied to UConn for their social work program. And now I find myself toying with the idea of making a career for myself at the school because of how much I've fallen in love with it and the philosophy in the community. So part of me is nervous that to give up, right. you know, the path towards the masters of social work. And, you know, it was over winter break that I did find out I got accepted into that program. So I came to this crossroads and I just remember her saying to me, like, I'm surprised you didn't get bit by the Montessori bug sooner. Huh. I was like, well, I did pretty early on. It just takes me a while to kind of grapple with things and decide for myself what it is I truly want. Um, so I talked with her a bit. I talked with the head of school, told her about the interest that I had, and <clears throat> basically was told, you know, you have you have a home here. If you want to make a career for yourself, we are happy to support you in creating that career. Mm. Um, obviously, we'll support you with whatever decision you make because that's up to you. But we would like to send you to training to become a Montessori teacher um, that will likely happen after a couple more years of being an assistant. So for me, I was like, okay, I have a timeline. I have another plan. And that's the one I'm going to go with. I'm going to take a leap of faith mm. and tell you, Khan, thank you. Um, but I've found, you know, another path that I would like to explore. Yeah. And um, lo and behold, then it led me to WMI at Loyola in Maryland. Um, you know, six hours from Connecticut, but totally worth the adventure and the memories that we made with everyone that we went through the training with. Yeah. And then um, that that was a a very challenging yet rewarding time of our lives. <laughs> and I came out yeah. a completely changed person with a whole oh, new perspective on life and the developing child mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. you know how much you know you truly need to be devoted uh, to Montessori to be able to give yourself to this job completely. Yeah. And uh and then when I finished the program I got on the phone with my head of school to see, you know, when I returned that uh, following academic year, which elementary classroom I would be in because I wasn't sure how the roles may have changed while I was gone for an entire year. And she said that the lower elementary position was taken, mm -hmm. but she did, she would love to have me as the upper elementary teacher. Again, this was not the original plan. Right. So your plan's changing again. So it's like. I'm like, oh, gosh. Okay, here we go. Something like I have no idea what's going to happen or what the experience is going to be like because I have not worked with the 9 to 12-year-olds yet. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, despite being nervous, uh, I felt very much supported and encouraged by her. And. You know, she said, if anyone could do it, you could do it. Yeah. I said, okay, sure. Let's, let's try it and see if, you know, I can prove that to be true. Mm -hmm. um, and then just kind of was thrusted into the upper elementary environment and 
made the most out of it. Yes. During the, uh, I, five years that I've been there now. I remember you telling me that you got the upper elementary position because we were all like searching for jobs and extremely stressed out. And I remember you telling me that and I could see in your eyes that you were so excited and so terrified, like at the same time, because you were delighted and you were like, I got this. But you were like, I don't know what I'm going to (laughs) do. Yeah, you know, and it's, you know, when you do the student teaching, you get a a taste, you get a taste of each level. Totally. I just, I think the part that made me nervous was obviously like, with upper elementary, you have older children that are developing their personalities more and um, finding their voices and putting their foot down with certain things a little bit more than six to nine-year-olds would. Yeah. Um, Also the curriculum, right? You're nervous. How do I, how do I make the curriculum challenging enough for an upper elementary student who maybe is like even excelling beyond their age of development? Sure. Um, And as with anything, that's something you learn how to do as you're as you're in the experience the same would be true for lower elementary right yeah. just the unknown that usually scares us no for sure and i do think that's a really it's a really crucial thing to mention that the curriculum and the beautiful lessons that we have from maria montessori and mario montessori they i think you can do a lot of it before they hit 9 so then you get to upper l and you're like okay the math goes further. So, okay, we got like decimals, you know, we got uh cube root. There's more, there's more. Oh yeah. You can, the math is endless. The math is endless, of course. But then there's a, I bet there's just sort of moments where you're like, okay, you need to give them more or like, okay, well they need to go further. Like how, how was that experience? What did you, what'd you do? <laughs> it was, it was well, the first year. I will be brutally honest. Was I thought the training was hard <laughs> and I know, I know Jamie tried to tell us this and prepare us for this. Right. I just didn't realize to what degree the first year of teaching was exponentially harder yeah. <laughs> because you're trying to juggle so many things, sure. right? You're now you're trying to lesson plan, get to know the children, establish yourself as a teacher, figure out, you know, at the upper elementary level, how, how can I expand on each of these lessons and make it more enticing and more challenging mm-hmm. um, for this age group and each individual child because each child is different. And you just realize that that type of planning for the small groups for each individual child for lessons that you need to expand on and relearn yourself because you just have lost touch with all of these topics since you were you know, younger and you were in grade school, Mm -hmm. you realize it takes a lot of time Mm -hmm. and a lot of effort to kind of reteach yourself the details um, and make new stories for the children Mm -hmm. for the history sections or the geography topics. And you have to learn it all yourself and get to know it to a point where you feel comfortable saying, all right, now I can sit with this group and like comfortably teach them about this and guide them as to how they can explore it more deeply in other ways or what directions they might be able to take it in. And so what ended up happening that first year, especially is I would spend uh, a good chunk of my weekends just reading up on topics, studying them, Mm -hmm. 
you know, trying to think creatively about different follow-up work we could, we could do for it. And it, it does, it does get stressful, right? It does get stressful at times, you know, you kind of get in your own head a little bit and think, oh my gosh, as a teacher, like, I should know this, right? I I should already know this. I should just have all this information in my memory bank, ready to spill out to the kids. And you constantly have to check your thinking and remind yourself that with Montessori, you're not just telling them everything you know, exactly. like a traditional school system. You're not just feeding them or vomiting them information right. and information and information to the point where, you know, now you've lost them. You're trying to get them excited about the topic and give them the key facts that will entice them to want to learn more and explore more on their own mm-hmm. outside of the lesson. So I, a lot of kind of a lot of self-reflection is involved in being a teacher, I think, especially in Montessori. Yeah. Because you have to remind yourself of that and you have to be forgiving of yourself while still, you know, relearning and finding your love of learning of all these topics again, but also not putting too much on your pressure to know everything. I think right. you're kind of a jack of all trades, sure. but you know a little bit about all those different trades. You don't know. Right. A ton. Yeah, it's like you know all the quick facts, but you have to do a, you do a little bit di- more digging. And I think when you're in lower elementary, which is the bulk of my experience, I worked with some um, upper elementary children in the fall, just virtually, and I realized ugh, there's just benefits and hardships with both sections because with lower elementary you you can they'll believe anything you tell them and you don't have to worry about knowing everything or being right on everything because they'll forgive you and forget 5 minutes later but they cannot do they need a lot more support with follow up work in the reverse with upper elementary they see right through you you have to you got to be on your stuff um but their follow up work is boundless awesome. and amazing they can you can do yeah. so much further and they can eventually be more independent than and when they get excited mm. like they come up with ideas that are even better than the, than yours sure right you're like oh man like that's so creative i would not i would not have thought to follow it up that way but yeah sure absolutely 100 percent. yeah go do it go tackle it and then they're they're totally bought in and you don't hear from them for like hours I know. because they're just <laughs> totally lost in this work, right? That's harder for six to nine-year-olds yes. to manage yes. without the teacher supporting them more. Yeah, it's it's definitely, um, it's just some pros and cons of each level. Um, isn't it? I always found it really funny when a child would come to me asking permission to do like the most amazing follow-up work I'd ever heard of. And I'm just like, what are you thinking I'm going to say? Like, no, no, I don't, I don't want you to just go be creative and like really blow my mind. (laughs) It's amazing. And they're so polite about it too. I was thinking about doing this and it's just like, what? (laughs) Yeah. And then when you, when they see how excited you are, they're like, oh, okay. Those are the ideas I I should come up with more often. But what a beautiful lesson to instill in children that their own ideas are 
so valuable and amazing and not, um, you know, cause I'm a product of public school as well. And I turned out fine, had beautiful, amazing teachers, of course, but it's a really different experience. And it's just the way the system is constructed. It's not the teacher's fault. It's just sort of the way it works. And, you know, I think there's a lot of those ideas that children might have early on that they never really get to explore because they just, they're just not able to, you know? Right. And, and even as an adult, right? Like, we fall victim to this time and time again as adults. It's like when we have these kind of outlandish dreams or ideas and we divulge them to people, people are so quick to say, Oh, that's, yeah, you know, that's crazy. Like don't, do don't waste your time doing that. Don't even, right. don't even go down that road. Right. And I, we've, I just think it's beautiful that for the children, we're telling them the complete opposite. I know. We're saying, go down that road, try it. The worst thing that happens all right, maybe, maybe it doesn't work out the way you expected it to, but at least you did it. Right. Right. And at least you had fun with it and you worked with your friends and you made these relationships and, Mm -hmm. you know, you guys learned all this new information along the way because it's not, it's not about the product as much as it is about exploring yourself and exploring what you're capable of. Totally. So, you know, try it out, try that idea out as crazy as people might say it sounds, you, you have to try it. Yeah. And I, I always go back to the fact that the Montessori classroom is one where mistakes are absolutely fine. And that's such a hard lesson. It's a really hard lesson as an adult because I don't do well with failure, but being in the Montessori classroom, being around children, working in Montessori schools, it really shows you, it has that mentality. Like, yeah, we all make mistakes. And just like what you were saying, Sarah, we're not supposed to know everything. And that's such a great lesson. I think so many Uh adults, people, whatever, we all want to just have all the answers because it's really scary to say, you know what? I don't know. Or I don't know what that word means. You know what I mean? Just simple things where you would just be agreeing just to not seem stupid. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I think our world now just has created such a culture of perfectionism that in upper elementary, what I see a lot of is kids that are, that come in terrified Mm. to try new work choices or take on these more challenging lessons sometimes because they're so um, anxious about messing up or not Mm. doing it right or Mm. not coming off as really smart or knowing it all already Mm. and after a while you know being in the classroom they start to see that there's moments where I you know I admit I say oh you know I don't know the answer to that that's something that you'll definitely have to look up and tell me or teach me because I sure. I don't know that information mm-hmm. and there's a ton of stuff that I don't know right and and I will actively tell the upper elementary students because they're at this age where you can be very honest with them like you know this is this is a topic that I don't I don't feel I know enough about yet to give you a lesson on just now but give me a couple of days give me some time to read up on it um, so that I can prepare something you know, juicy for you. Mm. And it shows them that like, hey, you know, it's, it's okay not to know something. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean you're any less intelligent or more intelligent if you do or do not know it. It just means you have some more work to do to learn it. Yeah. And, and that that's an ongoing process, right? And you're doing that at age 10, 12, you're also doing it at age 32. Like, right. And you'll still be doing it at age 64. And, right. you know, it's just, it's an unending process. So then they start to see, oh, okay, this is, 
this is something normal yeah. that I can be comfortable with. And then they stop putting so much uh, pressure on themselves and on, on each other. Yeah. It's just a beautiful thing, right? Like that life yeah. learning, craving more information and knowing that they can get it, you know? Yeah. You know, I mean, if you have the tools and you know how to research, you know, possibilities are endless. So moving right along, I wanted to just check in on how COVID has been. I know you're back in the classroom. Matt. Yes. Yeah. Woof. <laughs> what a year, huh? Yeah, right. <laughs> I listen, I will take wearing a mask all day over the distance learning. I bet. Um, because it just it gives the children what they were missing during distance yeah. learning. It gives the adults what we are missing during distance learning and that's the community piece of it. Of course. Feeling you know, the the energy that comes with collaborating and mm. sharing ideas in person and having that energy in person to kind of feed off of everyone else while you're working. It, it creates this atmosphere, this environment that makes it easy to want to work and to want to learn it. Yes. Uh, I think with the distance learning, when people are isolated, you lose that. Yeah. You know, the, you can try as hard as you want with virtual meetings and virtual lessons and um, Google Classroom was a great tool and I'm really happy that I had the opportunity to learn how to use it because we still use it um, for different things in the classroom. But that I would be lying if I said I would ever want to return to that time period. Oh my gosh, totally. <laughs> it was just not not effective for the kids yeah. in terms of learning. Um, I didn't feel fulfilled as a teacher. Mm -hmm. I really missed that connection with the kids in person. Um, and I know they missed it with each other because it's just not the same over a computer. Yeah. Um, so we were all thrilled to be back in person. Um, you know, and as with anything, you adapt to the time. So sure. yeah, so wearing a mask is super uncomfortable and hot and gets tiring. <laughs> right. Um, but, you know, as a community, you figure out ways to, um, you know, curb those negative aspects of it and you weave mask breaks into the day and you spend as much time outside as possible so that you're not having to wear the mask so much. Sorry. And all of those little things help to make it more manageable. And after a while, you just get so used to it. It just becomes part of your new, your new normal. Right. Right. And. You know, I've had these discussions with the upper elementary students, and they've done writing prompts about it, about their feelings and their thoughts around the distance learning versus being back in person, um, and what they, what their thoughts are about the past year. And the consensus is that distance learning was awful. <laughs> <laughs> they all hated it, <laughs> and I, I. Told them I totally get it. Oh my god! And even as much as sometimes the masks can be cumbersome and annoying, uh, they're just happy to be back mm -hmm. around each other in the presence of their friends and the presence of teachers that they've missed. Um, and it actually they came back with a kind of newfound appreciation for each other uh, and a new respect for even people that they didn't consider friends, but people that 
whose presence they just miss being around for the simple fact that they're in a class together. And it created a very kind, um, tight-knit community, more so than in previous years. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, how are you enforcing social distancing at school? Like, how are the kids doing with that? I bet that's hard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to put enforcing in air quotes. Sure, sure, sure. I'm going to be right. super real about this, Please. okay? Please. <laughs> because... Okay, with upper elementary, uh, much easier, obviously, to accomplish social distancing. Yes. Um, because they really understand the logic behind it, and they understand uh, the science behind everything and why we're doing it. Still makes it incredibly hard for them to naturally stay away from each other. Yes. So I put X's that were six feet apart on the classroom floors. I put desks six feet apart and for two-person tables. We put barriers up in the middle that were clear so they could still see each other. Um, you know, and you, you put all these things into practice and you go over the rules at the very beginning of the year about the distancing and, you know, this is how far apart you should be at all times. So you really can't share material very well. Right. And if you do use material, you have to wipe it down. So they each got their own cleaning kit. Nice. Have their own pencil pouches with, um, you know, different scissors, colored pencils, mm -hmm. the basic, you know, school necessities, and they had set um, set assigned seats for a period of time, and then we would rotate and switch where they sat. They would wipe down everything, disinfect everything, switch seats for another period of time, so that they weren't truly assigned for the whole year. Um, but obviously, they had to keep coming back to a seat where, you know, they weren't sharing the surface with somebody else. Of course. And that's pretty good in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> We're all very social creatures by nature. Yeah, it's impossible um, to be perfect at this. Are you serious? Like, it is utterly impossible, impossible to keep them six feet apart at all times. Of course. So, as a teacher, you just try to stay on top of it and give them gentle reminders when they're getting too close. Sure. And as a teacher, I will even admit, when I saw them working together on material and they were doing beautifully mm -hmm. and enjoying it and just coming to all these, you know, different realizations with each other and working through the process and they weren't six feet apart, I'd be like, uh, all right. As long as it's almost six feet apart, right. I can work with that. Right. All right. Because it's just, you know, it's like you take that piece out, they're, they're going to be miserable. Right. And I couldn't. It is like you are doing, everybody's just doing their best. And these, mm -hmm. these situations and this, these circumstances that we're in right now are unthinkable and, and they're not human nature. It's not human no. nature for us to be so apart. It's not human nature for upper elementary kids not to all be climbing on top of each other and working in a group of like seven or whatever, you know? Yeah. So I think in my eyes, what you're telling me is super honest, but it sounds like it's going as best as it can be right now. Yeah. And I think that's awesome. And it's kind of one of those things where I feel like you have to pick your battles. Right? Really? So, <laughs> obviously, in the... 
you know, when the weather's nice, it's much easier because sure. you can be outside mm-hmm. and you can have the mask off and then the kids, you know, are definitely capable of being six feet apart more than they were before because there's just more space to do that with. And and there's not as much background noise, so they don't feel like they have to get closer together. Right. Um, that comes with its own challenges because then your day your time gets eaten up having the transport materials in and out, clean them. Um, so so time is um, what's the word I'm looking for? More precious mm-hmm. because you have less of it after you know you transition from inside to outside, and that takes a while with any group of children, obviously. Um, but the winter was much more difficult, which is why, you know, when they would work on materials and maybe weren't exactly six feet apart, you know, as long as they were trying and wearing their mask properly and washing their hands regularly for the full 20 seconds. Um, and we had gone over that ad nauseum, right? That's we. I think we have like four different sinks that we're using between all the kids so that, you know. It doesn't eat up time, right. but they're doing what they need to be doing to stay sanitary. Um, and then once the weather got nicer, it got easier again. And it's just a constant balance. Just yes. choosing the right moment to really remind them, like, hey, you really should be further apart sure. because you don't want to, you know, we've made it this far in the year in person. Yeah. And we don't want to mess that up because we all remember how right. unhappy yeah. we were right. with distance learning. <laughs> And so far, we've been good, you know, and they've been diligent in their hand washing and, you know, wearing their masks. And even at snack and lunchtime, if we can't eat outside, they're at their desks and their masks are off. So they know they're not allowed to talk. Mm. Um, Wow. And, you know, that's difficult. But somehow these nine to 12 year olds have gotten used to it and managed it. Yeah. Children are amazing. They they're so... (sighs) I think they adapt so much easier than we do in our, in our thirties or or adults in general. It's, it's, they are so resilient and amazing. And, and I love what you say about picking your battles. I think that is such a constant theme of teaching in general, especially with grace and courtesy things, because if you harp on a child constantly about something, they just can't seem to remember or, um, it just becomes a super negative experience. And you know yeah. in your heart that they're not doing it on purpose. For both parties, too. What'd you say? For both parties, for the yes. students and for you. Oh, my God, absolutely. It's not fun to just be nagging, even though things yeah. happen. But, um, you know, the children want to be in the class. They they want to do well. They want to, obviously, social distance, be super clean. and But, you know, we're all human. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And it's funny that because I was thinking nagging is like it, it's exactly the word that came to mind yes. because in the beginning of the year, I felt like that's all I was doing mm-hmm. was I was so focused on making sure they were all six feet apart constantly yeah. and their masks were on properly constantly. And, you know, they were wiping down material as soon as they used it. And I felt like that was my job. Right now, I'm not teaching lessons. Now I'm you're like the clean the observing them <laughs> to make sure they're following all the protocols perfectly. Sure. And I felt like, oh, I'm just nagging. All I'm doing is spending my day nagging, yeah. and they're getting tired of it because they're hearing me say the same thing over and over again. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm, I'm not having fun with lessons the way that I did before. Mm-hmm. And I, I quickly realized like, I need to, I need to find a better balance. I need to fix something here because I can't spend the whole year doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, or that's going to put a strain on my relationship with the kids. Um, you know, their relationships with each other. Cause then they'd feel like they need to nag one another. Right. Oh, I bet there's some, some room. Oh yeah. The children too. <laughs> and you know, it's like, okay, they, they get enough for me. Not everyone needs to that be doing is that. Hilarious. I could just picture. But obviously thing. the kids model what you're, I mean, the kids follow what you're modeling. So of course. I started to see that and I was like, okay, it's time for a, little bit of a change here. I need to figure out something so that I can actually give them lessons that I will enjoy giving and they will enjoy receiving in a way that isn't constantly interrupted by nagging. Um, yeah. And that's it. You know, you pick your battles, you pick the moments that really matter. Yeah. Uh, and then you try to try to just lead a somewhat normal teaching career. <laughs> <laughs> you also try to like take care of yourself and like, you know, yeah. Yeah, and then you try to like feed yourself and drink enough water so that you don't pass out during the day. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh wow. Well, this has been the best combo ever. This is making oh, miss our long chats that we would have during training. Oh my god. Mm-hmm. And it's good that we can laugh about it. That's Keep necessary. Something. I remember I had moments first year especially where it was just so hard that I couldn't find the laughter and I found myself missing training, which I still miss training all the time. That year was so difficult, but so amazing. I loved it so much. And I never thought I would miss it. And I remember Jamie and Carol yeah. telling us, you're going to miss this year. And we were like, <laughs> what? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> I'm like, oh yeah, I, I miss it terribly. Um, yeah. But I wanted to ask you what's one thing or a few um, things that you would tell teachers right now that are in your same shoes. <laughs> words of wisdom. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, my words of wisdom would be <laughs> be forgiving of yourself, but also be able to make fun of yourself and make yourself laugh about everything. Yeah. Because we're all in the same boat and we're all struggling at the same things. And as long as we're together and we're making strides in the right direction, it is progress, albeit maybe not as fast uh, moving progress as we would like. <laughs> um, you know, we're exactly what you said. We're all doing the best we can. So, you know, lighten up a little, go easier on yourself, go easier on the students, uh, and make time to laugh with each other. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. A special thanks to my friend Sarah for coming on this first episode of the teacher series on all things Montessori. Thank you to everybody for listening and thank you so much for your support. If you're a patron member, if you're an Instagram follower, if you are just a fan and a listener, I am so appreciative. Thank you so much. You can always reach out to us by email at allthingsmontessoripod at gmail.com. You can check out our website, follow us on Instagram at allthingsmontessori. We appreciate it all. Thank you all again again for being such big supporters of all things Montessori.